The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. After Paul completed his mission to bring resources from Gentile churches to the needy saints in Jerusalem, which was a unity mission trying to bring all the brotherhood together to realize, hey, we're one family in Jesus Christ, and we got one mission in Jesus Christ, to glorify God through the gospel. All right, that's what we talked about last time. So Paul gets done with that. What's next for him? You may remember from Acts chapters 20 and 21, there was a not just a danger, I was about to say a real danger, but it was more than a real danger. It was guaranteed by the Spirit of God and prophets who spoke to this. Even Paul himself acknowledged that whenever he went to Jerusalem on this mission that he had recently been on, he was going to be arrested. He was going to be suffering. He was going to be afflicted because of the good work he was trying to do in the gospel. That comes true. When you read Acts chapters 21 and 22, Paul is lied about, a mob is incited against him, and he ends up getting arrested. He is put on trial in Jerusalem, later in Caesarea, and then eventually he's taken to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. Uh, that basically what I just covered is like a fourth of the book of Acts. That's Acts chapters 22 through 28. Really fascinating stuff to read about Paul's interactions. He gives his personal testimony and witness, primarily focusing on the, the good news of the gospel and how he realized, hey, this isn't opposed to the traditions of our forefathers. This is the fulfillment. This is the completion of everything God promised to Abraham and to Moses and through David and all down through the prophets. And while the, the stories at the end of the book of Acts about Paul's imprisonment are really fascinating and actually really encouraging, and they're a really helpful portrait into the mentality and the focus of Paul, in his imprisonment, just as fascinating and interesting and compelling and encouraging as those stories are in the book of Acts, are the writings of Paul during this time. There are at least four letters that we have that were written during this time, and we can tell because of details given about either references to Paul saying, hey, I'm in chains at this point, or because of names that he drops in parallel letters and such. We just know they all came about at this same time period while he was in prison. Those letters are the short letter to Philemon, the letter to the Colossians, which is where Philemon uh, was from, the letter to the Philippians, and the letter to the Ephesians. Each of these letters are amazing. And honestly, if you're, if you're much of a Bible reader, um, or even if you're new to the Bible, you should try this out. Most people, whenever they come across those four letters, especially Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, Either a verse or a paragraph or maybe even that entire letter just becomes one of the nearest and dearest to your heart. They're so rich. They're so encouraging. Uh, they're hopeful. They're joyful. Uh, they're thought-provoking. And what's amazing is these letters were written in what, for me looking at it, seems like one of the toughest, darkest periods of the Apostle Paul's life, and yet it's some of his best stuff. And that's not to say, I don't know if that's even the right the right way to talk, to say that some letters of Paul were better than others, 
But for me, when I read it, some move me more than others, at least where I am in my life right now. Maybe one day I need to get to a place where they all move me equally the same. But I just know Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and even Philemon, maybe to a little bit lesser extent since it's a personal letter, but still, they're these rich, amazing texts and insights into how the gospel permeates somebody's heart even whenever you're in the worst possible circumstances. A prisoner. I mean, an unjustly made prisoner, by the way. I mean, Paul didn't do anything wrong. He was arrested because people lied about him in Jerusalem. Again, refer back to Acts 21, 22, 23, and you'll see some more of that. He, he was treated unjustly. Look at Acts 23, 24, 25, 26 to see more about that. He went through a shipwreck in Acts 27 on his way to Rome to be in prison. Uh, and, and even when he was in prison in Rome in Acts 28, he's trying to preach to people who basically are laughing him off and saying, forget about this guy. And yet these letters he wrote during this time period are an amazing testimony to how powerful the gospel really is, that regardless of your circumstances, you always have the good news. Can't obviously go into all the detail that we'd like to in a, in a short uh, podcast like this about these letters. I'll just encourage you to read them. I mean, literally just pick up one of them this week and then pick up the next one the following week and pick up the next one the following week, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and just be immersed in them. Um, Obviously, for those of you who are local in Brooklyn, you know we're working through all the epistles this year in a, in a reading plan we're doing month by month. So we'll get to those eventually. But if you're picking this up um, later on outside of 2021 or if you're uh, finding this episode and you're not really connected with us here locally, first of all, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us if there's anything we need to help you. But I just encourage you to check out these letters, especially if you're going through it. And there's three elements to these letters that really make them special. Uh, and I want to highlight all three of these elements uh, to maybe appeal to you to make these a part of your spiritual diet as you feed on the Word of God. So the first thing that's special about these letters that Paul wrote in prison, because of this they get called the prison epistles sometimes because they were all written in this uh, context. One of the elements that makes them really special is they have such a rich heavenly perspective. Heavenly perspective. Um, for instance, in the book of Ephesians, there's a phrase that's found several times. It's completely unique to Ephesians in describing the condition that those who are in Christ uh, live. Paul said, we are in heavenly places. You might say, Paul, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> We're living on earth, man. And this is not heaven. I don't know if you last checked, but you're in a prison cell. That's not heavenly. Well, Paul would say, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, he would even say, remember me in my chains. But if you're in Jesus Christ... If you have all the spiritual blessings that come in Jesus Christ, if you've received grace from God to save you from your sins, you're in the heavenly places. Maybe not in the realest, truest, fullest sense, but you already have something that a lot of other people in the world just don't have. The book of Colossians, he words it a little bit differently. I love the passage in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Speaking to those who've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised up, that's in chapter 2, verses 12 and following. He keys off that idea of resurrection and baptism, and he describes it this way in Colossians 3 and verse 1. He says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him 
in glory. You hear that heavenly perspective? Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. You, know, you in terms of your earthly life, I mean, you've kind of, not kind of, you've died to that. Now you're in the heavenly place with Christ, and one day Christ, who is our life, will be revealed, and you're going to be revealed to be one of the heavenly people with him. Uh, that's why Paul would put it this way in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, and uh, starting around verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was looking ahead. He was looking forward. He had a heavenly perspective, which is why when he was going through all these terrible times, he's in prison and people are betraying him and all kinds of horrible things are happening. He's fine. When you read the book of Philippians, the word that leaps off the page is the word joy. It's in I mean, practically every paragraph throughout the letter. How could you have joy, Paul? Well, because he has a heavenly perspective. If you want to look at your life a little bit differently, read the prison epistles. Think about the gospel way the, the way the apostle Paul did so that you can have a heavenly perspective and overcome whatever earthly circumstances you may face. Another great thing about the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, is the spiritual depth that we find in them. Now, I know this is silly because you're like, well, yeah, duh, it's in the Bible. There's spiritual depth and all of it. Kind of like the heavenly perspective. And I, I know, but it's more. It's supercharged. It's way more than in a lot of other places. One little piece of evidence when I'm talking about spiritual depth is in the prayers that Paul prays throughout these letters. Colossians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 1, both of those starting in verse 9. Colossians 1 starting in verse 9, Philippians 1 starting in verse 9. There are these amazing prayers that Paul prays about growing in our knowledge of God and growing in our fruitfulness in terms of our obedience. You read these prayers and you're like, man, do I ever pray like that? There's a spiritual depth to Paul's writings. And the prayers are just one little piece of that. I mean, he talks about the blessings we have in Christ. He talks about the significance of even things like marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, hey, this is a mystery, but honestly, the stuff I'm telling you about your marriage is not about your marriage. I'm talking to you about the relationship between Christ and the church. Do you see the spiritual depth there? He's saying, like, I'm not just trying to tell you how to be happy and have marital bliss on earth. I'm trying to help you have bliss with God through Jesus Christ. That's the kind of spiritual depth that he hits on. And actually, the prayers in the book of Ephesians are just a great illustration of that. I'm just going to read a couple of texts here. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Ephesians 1 and 15. By the way, I've heard it said, and I think there's something to this. Uh, I've heard someone argue that actually Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, the entirety, so half the book, is just one long prayer. Meditations, reflections, thanksgiving, praise for what God has done uh, through Jesus Christ. There's probably some parts you say, eh, that doesn't really sound like a prayer. But if you read it that way, just try it out. Read Ephesians 1 through 3 and say, okay, what if this is like Paul just kind of phasing in and out of prayer throughout these first three chapters? You'll see, wow, like this guy was so in tune with God. Even as he's writing to people, it's almost like he can't help but slip into prayer and praise whenever he's doing it. So here's a little sample of that. Ephesians 1 verse 15. He says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you all, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, 
while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. You hear that? I mean, he's saturated with, I want you to know God. I want you to see God. I want you to understand God. And he expounds on this a little bit more specifically in verse 18. I pray, and I love this phrase, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe? I mean, each one of those phrases, I want to get into them, but that's not what we're trying to do. We're just trying to overview stuff here. I mean, every single one of those phrases of things that he identifies in verse 18, I pray the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you'll see some things in a new and deeper and richer way and clearer way. See things like God sees them. Uh, There's another similar prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, remember, some have suggested maybe this whole thing's a prayer. It's because chapter 1 and chapter 3, on both ends of this uh, first half of the book, there's emphasis on uh, prayer. There are prayers recorded. Here's the prayer in Ephesians 3 and verse 14. Ephesians 3 and verse 14. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in the, your inner self so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Those hearts that he wanted your eyes to be enlightened. He wants Christ in there through your faith and that being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, uh, width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. And then listen to what he says here. I want you to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, who, who prays like that? Who talks like this? This is a man who was deep. And what's amazing is he says this whole thing about God can do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. This is in prison. You know, Paul's not thinking about his circumstances because he's got that heavenly perspective that we noted earlier. He's able to have a spiritual depth about thinking about life and thinking about himself and thinking about God. If you want to have that kind of depth and richness in your understanding of God and your intimacy with God and your closeness with God. Read these letters. Reflect upon what the gospel means as you read these words of good news from a prisoner of the Lord. Okay, third thing that I think is great about these letters, and there's way more certainly, but these are just three themes. So heavenly perspective, number one. Spiritual depth, number two, which is manifested in the prayers in these letters, but also in a number of other things. Third thing I love, though, is the practical value of these letters. You want to know how to be a good husband or a good wife? Read Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3. Uh, You want to know how to control your temper and have a greater degree of gentleness and patience and kindness? Read Ephesians chapter 4. Read Colossians chapter 3. You want to understand how to learn, how to be humble? Check out Philippians chapter 2. Uh, you want to, I mean, I could keep on going. You get the point, right? There's all kinds of stuff about work and work ethic, about being sacrificial givers, about purifying yourself from sexual sin, about changing your mentality, all kinds of practical value. I mean, one, there's practical value in these letters because you know it's coming from a guy who's sitting in a prison cell unjustly with 
for no good reason other than he loves God and he's preaching the gospel. That's all Paul was doing. That's all that, that quote-unquote, deserved uh, imprisonment. There's value right there. But also, there's really specific instructions for how to follow Jesus. Following right off this prayer we just finished in Ephesians, he says this in Ephesians 4 and verse 1, Therefore, because of all the great heavenly perspective I'm trying to give you, because of the spiritual depth that I'm trying to encourage you to reach through Jesus Christ, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. He's telling us how to live how to behave, what to do, what not to do. There's so much practical value. And I love that here, Paul could have written letters bemoaning his circumstances, reflecting on his past. And I don't know, maybe he had some personal letters where he did that kind of stuff. But he gets so specific. This is where the book of Philemon is fascinating. Because you read Philemon, it is very specific about uh, an issue of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of working things out. In a, in a conflict between brethren about economic circumstances. And we won't get into all the details on that, but you can check it out and you'll, you'll learn some things. By the way, when you check out Philemon, don't read it as uh, with American historical context, but go back and learn some things about the Roman economic system and slaves and masters and so forth and what all that uh, kind of entailed. Here's my point. Paul was getting so specific with how people should live and how they should behave. There is great practical value in these letters. And if you want to learn how to follow Jesus, this is one of the best places to go. Heavenly perspective, spiritual depth, especially in your prayer life, and practical value for how to live every day following Jesus. If I told you, hey, there's somebody who has something to tell you about these things. You might picture somebody who's had a pretty nice life, or at least at this stage in life is in a pretty good spot. But remember, these letters were not written from somebody who was in a pretty good spot. They weren't written by somebody who had a nice, easy life. They were written by somebody who had gone through great trials. They were written by somebody who right then was sitting in a prison cell or under house arrest, waiting to face Caesar and possibly death. But it didn't matter to him because of the good news of Jesus Christ that had saturated Paul's heart and his mind. So no matter what happened, he was fine. And if we would learn that lesson from him, then we'll be okay. Here's some words from Philippians chapter 1 to close us out and to sum up the heart and the mind of our brother Paul. That if we'll let it become our mind, we too can have a similar degree of heavenly perspective and spiritual depth and learn to practice following Jesus in a way that will really work out in the end. Paul says in verse uh, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 20, he says, According to my eager expectation and hope, I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Amen. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.